Hey guys, it's Simon, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming you to episode 8 of Learning from Humanity with Simon Funk, the old and the bold. Today I had the privilege of interviewing Janet Morris. I've known Janet for my entire life, as my grandma. Over the years, the things that have defined her to me are her love for God, her family, and all others, in that order. As such, it was no surprise to me that those were the themes that our conversation was centered on. For those of you who don't know her life trajectory, this is it in one sentence. Janet, born and raised in the woods, became a nurse, rejected and then found God, raised a family, and now tries to love those around her as best she can with Jesus' help. On a slightly comedic note, her mother told her, I think you've gone off the deep end when she became a Christian. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Janet Morris. What do you think living well looks like, Grandma? Oh. You edit this, right? Yeah, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I looked at that question and I thought, when I think of what living well looks like, I think of it from two perspectives. I think of what living well looks like from the standpoint of what the world says living well looks like. Mm-hmm. And then I think of what living well looks like from the standpoint of what people who have committed their lives to the Lord, what that looks like, mm-hmm. who follow who follow God, and and then I try to compare the two. And for myself, I just choose to live well. Because it's it's where my heart is and what I know to be the best for me is to follow God. Okay. And and to live my life out for Him. Okay. What are a few stories to help us get to know you? What are some stories that capture who you are? Well, hmm. I guess we're a sum total of all all of our life experiences, right? So, um, of course, who I am is is very connected to my upbringing, and and that would mean that I had the privilege, the privilege of um, growing up in a in the mountains. My father worked in lumber mills and. We had the total run of the mountains and <laughs> the rivers, and the, it was wonderful. We camped a lot. We, my dad loved fishing and hunting, so we, we fish camped. We, um, we just enjoyed the beauty of the world around us and a simple life. You know, we had what we needed, and. And more than what we needed at times, but yeah, it was a simple life. Cool. So that's the beginning. That's the beginning. What's happened in the middle and the end? <laughs> well, uh, my family was not a family. Well, let me backtrack a little bit. Be- because we lived about 17 miles um, down the Feather River Canyon from the nearest larger town, which was mm-hmm. 
4,000 people at 4,000 foot elevation. <laughs> um, the, the opportunities for me to um, have like a part-time job and to be involved in after-school after activities meant that I would need to be closer to Quincy than I was at Twain. So probably when I was 16, I left home, uh, not permanently, but I, mm -hmm. I would go and stay in Quincy. I stayed with other families, and I worked part-time at the local hospital, and I didn't oh. drive, so I walked. Um, I, you walked everywhere back then, <laughs> and, uh, and so I would walk from the home where I was staying, and uh, work part-time doing uh, unit secretary, it was called then. Then I did housekeeping, and then I uh, one of the nurses asked me, would you like to be a nurse's assistant? And I said, I sure would. So I took the class, and then I was a nurse's assistant at the local hospital. And I worked on weekends, and I worked part-time after school. Hmm. And then I would, I would visit home. I would go home on the school bus, from time to time, but a lot of my time was spent in Quincy as a teenager and the homes of other families. I remember working for two, I think you would consider them old maids, two spinster ladies <laughs> from Biloxi, Mississippi. <laughs> they lived in this um, house, well, it was, the houses were smaller then for the most part, but mm -hmm. in this house, there was all, it was all knotty pine inside. It was very like a cabin. And mm. they had particular ways of doing things, these two sisters. And part of my job was to make sure that the dinner plates were warmed in, in hot water before the meal. That was part of my job. And I did some light housekeeping. They mostly <laughs> just loved me. And I didn't, I don't remember really doing all that much for them. But that was a wonderful experience. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. To live with two, my two uh, older lady for friends. <laughs> mm -hmm. okay. And then I went away. But maybe that's the middle part. Then I really found that I liked taking care of people. And so I applied for admission to what was then a three-year nursing program. They were very common back then. That was in the 1960s. And so I was admitted really by the grace of God, into a, <laughs> a nursing program. There's more to that story, but <laughs> in Oakland, I went to Highland School of Nursing, a three-year program, which was probably now the equivalent of maybe not even an LVM program. Our, our uh, nursing students were not allowed to start IVs. We had glass syringes for uh, morphine injections and other injections, and, and, and mm. the... The stainless steel needles and the glass syringes were, were uh, sterilized and reused. You can imagine how dull they got, right? And we mixed up our own morphine from ampules and powder and Ooh. Had, had metal bedpans, burr. <laughs> yeah. Hey, was, That's cool. Things have yeah. come such a long way. Mm -hmm. The last year I was in nursing school was the first year that cardiac monitors came out. We were all so excited. <laughs> a small ICU, and we were all going, wow, over this cardiac monitor. 
<laughs> well, that's a big piece of technology. It would have changed a lot about how you could see see what's actually going on inside the person. Exactly. Yeah. Sixty nineteen sixty seven. Yeah. So where did life take you after you finished nursing school? I married. I I married. Um, I had a, a very dear friend whose name was Shirley Gilliatt, and she had a brother named Jim. And at the end of my, towards the end of my nursing program, we were attending Bible studies together, and then at the end of my nurse's training, we got married. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> had your mom, yeah. <laughs> your aunt and your uncle, aunts, yeah. aunts and uncle. Yeah. And then there's 40 years between then and now. It's a, it's a long time. Are there any especially notable moments along the way that I don't know about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Notable or moments. that people who are listening should know about. Mm. Feel free to say whatever you like. Well, I, I love the freedom that I feel when you say that, Simon. Um, when, when I was a teenager, no, when I was before I was a teenager, um, my. I had a medical condition that my I was being treated for, and my mother asked the doctor, um, do you think that religion would help? And he said, yes. And so <laughs> then my parents or, or whomever would drop me off at church. There was a little church on the school grounds where I went to <clears throat> a one-room school. And, and I loved it. I loved it. I can still remember it clearly. And so I felt a closeness to God at that time. Hmm. And then when I became a teenager, there were um, there were things that didn't seem like they matched up with how God would order things. So I, I said to myself, on two, I said to, to two people how I felt about that, uh, myself at that time, I said, I don't believe there is a God. Hmm. But, but deep down to each one of these people, I was really, really hoping, hoping strongly within myself that they would be able to tell me, uh, oh, oh, no, I, I want to tell you there really is a God. And, and, and then they could share their experience with me. But neither of these people did. The second person I told that, to, I remember it was a, a girls' leadership conference that I'd gone to as a senior. Mm. And I said, I don't, I don't believe there is a God. And she just looked a little alarmed, if I could. I think that was what, how I would describe the expression. In her eyes, she mm. looked alarmed. And then looking back, I know there was a, a lady named Joyce Blankenbaker who had come with her husband and two children. They managed a store at Twain store and post office and she had vacation bible school for us she had um 4-h program for us she had contact with us she would invite us to church i always declined and uh, my family didn't go to church so um 
I look back and I know in my heart of hearts she was praying for us. She was praying for us. She saw the need. And, and so when I went away to nursing school, uh, I still was kind of, no, not kind of, I still was in the dark about God. And so a friend in study hall, some one study hall, there was no one in study hall, which was kind of peculiar, but um, this friend said to me, are you a Christian? And I said, yes, because I thought everybody was, and I hadn't done anything more terrible than anybody else had done, and so I figured I was. <laughs> and... And so she said, um, oh, when were you saved? And I said, what's that? <laughs> and she said, oh, she, there was a blackboard in the, in the study hall. So she said, well, this is you. And she drew a stick picture of me, and she covered me up with white chalk. And then she drew a stick picture, and she said, this is Jesus. And he didn't have any white stuff on him. And then she said, um, Jesus died so that he could take all of your sin and she erased my white stuff and put the white stuff on him. Jesus died so that you could be saved from the sin that's in your life. And I knew I had sin. Nobody had to tell me that. I knew I had. Hmm. And so, and I didn't know how to get rid of it. Hmm. And, um, and so she asked me, would you like to come and follow Jesus? And it's strange what you think, but I thought, I thought, I picked my parents won't approve and yet I thought but I don't like I don't like the way I feel about life I I felt like it had really really had no purpose and I and I had no reason to really feel that way except that's how I felt I felt like life was empty and I felt like it made no sense to be born and die for what what why all that and then um, I thought Ooh, if I could have what she talks about, and when she, when she talked about the Lord, she, in our conversation before this this day, mm-hmm. she talked about him as if they were friends, as if they had this personal connection that I didn't know anything about. And so when I looked at her life and I looked at my life and I thought, I'm going to take the jump. And I did. <laughs> And I've never been sorry. I've never, never, ever been sorry. And I was not an out-of-control brand-new Christian, but I was very verbal about my faith. And <laughs> I'm sure my parents, well, my mother actually wrote, she would write to me every week. I had the best data mom, the best data mom. And she would write to me every week at nursing school. And she said, when I talked to her, she'd say, I think you've gone off the deep end. <laughs> but, but they still loved you regardless. They right? loved me. They loved and they put up with me. And eventually eventually my mother was probably eighty ish or so when she when she asked how do you get to heaven and we told her. And she hmm. made that same decision that I did and my father was about 79, hmm. and my brother said, Dad, you know, you got to get right with God. And he had cancer, he was dying, and, and he did. He made that decision to give his life to the Lord. So anyway, hmm. <laughs> that's, that was, that's my most, that's, everything kind of hangs on that side. <laughs> <from there. laughs> on the one thing that happened. <laughs> yeah, that was hmm. my 
my miraculous change. <laughs> how has have how have you seen the echoes of that moment break out through your life? How have you seen the effects of a faith in Christ? It's just amazing um, that friendship that I saw in my friend Cheryl that she had with her with the Lord um, was so real and and then when I made that step to commit and surrender my life to him it became real to me too and so um, the effect it has had is that I know I know I'm never alone I know that um, he always will take care of me and I know that wherever I am he's with me and when you have that kind of companion, I mean, and then, and then when you think of all that he did for us uh, before the cross, on the cross, it's just like how I find him irresistible, Simon. <laughs> it's just irresistible. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm laughing because I'm imagining even more attractive than any uh, superstar or model or yeah. and I'm just putting in different names for yeah. diff that different people would find extra hot at the moment. <laughs> yeah. And I'm laughing at yeah. the comparison. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, you talk about a relationship with God. What what are your thoughts on relationships, including the one with yourself? I I believe that human relationships, including the one with myself, are the most valuable thing that we have. Hmm. And I feel like when Jesus says, "Love your neighbor as you love yourself." He's saying to us, I want you to love yourself. I want you to be kind to yourself. I want you to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, do that to those, whoever it is that is around you. Um, someone sitting next to you on the airplane, would you like a, would you like a granola bar? <laughs> or, or someone in the store. Um, yeah. And just common courtesy towards all those around you. Yeah. And then uncommon courtesy at times. <laughs> <laughs> what about, uh, what do you know about relationships that you think I might not? That would be useful for me to oh. pick up from many, many years of living. <laughs> You're just really good at relationships, Simon. I don't know that there's anything I could add to that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll give you... Uh, I haven't been married yet. Mm -hmm. I haven't been in a serious romantic relationship yet. Mm -hmm. Do you have any specific advice regarding love? Well, because I know you, Simon, and I know that you belong to the Lord, the person that you... Um, that you would want to spend the rest of your life with is someone who shares your faith. Mm -hmm. 
that's really critical and I we've talked about this before it's so we have an enemy of our souls Jesus warned us about that enemy and the enemy of our souls would love to derail the plan that God has for you in any way he could so um, when we find ourselves attracted to someone who doesn't belong to God or doesn't even sound interested in belonging to God we have to be careful because sometimes in, our, in my mind I would say oh I can fix that <laughs> but we can't we can't guarantee that and and God tells us don't don't join yourselves to someone that you're not equal to like equal in faith and equal in maybe passions equal <laughs> equal in um, goals equal in heart's desire yeah because hmm. marriage has marriage has its challenging times and you want as much going much pulling for you as you can hmm. before you make that choice and and then of course pray 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 <laughs> lord tell me show tell, tell me show me <laughs> <laughs> so to put that into some words that could apply to someone who's not a Christian, what that would look like would be search for someone that is fairly similar to yourself mm -hmm. so that you have the maximum chance of things working out. It's like an introvert and yeah. an extrovert might have a harder time living, uh, building a life together than two extroverts. Or one person who's super organized might have a hard time living with someone who's really messy or things like that. Right, right. And then instead of pray, in their case, it would be Think things through very slowly. <laughs> and, and communicate. Communication is so important for, hmm. yeah, for whatever your um, situation is. Yeah, communicate. Hmm. And then there's unconditional love. And I think, you, I think unconditional love is valuable, really valuable in any relationship. It doesn't mean that you don't set boundaries. It doesn't mean that you can't talk things over that you disagree about. But but the bottom line yeah. is that you still commit to loving that person mm. no matter what. Yeah. I've heard a very, very interesting definition of love from one of my friends. Mm. And it's that love is an action. Mm -hmm. Love isn't necessarily a feeling or all those things that go along with it. But love is the action of purposefully caring for the other person in the best way you can. That is a very good definition of love. So, yeah, that makes it a far easier thing to do than it's like you can't always choose what you feel like. Exactly. But you can, I believe that you can always decide I am going to practice love as best I possibly can. Mm -hmm. You might be gritting your teeth. Yes. I love you, dear. <laughs> you might be a little bit grouchy. <laughs> Uh, it's a commitment it's yeah. a commitment and I feel the same thing applies. we were just Jared and I were just talking about this in youth group the same thing applies to the to the church the body of Christ we have a commitment and and leaving and dodging are not options we're we're mm. committed yeah no so you what. mean as a Christian you're committed to loving all those around you and it's just everyone everyone period yeah. especially the body of Christ but everyone period everyone period okay yeah
Well, I think the world would be a better place if everyone said, <laughs> I have to love everyone. Yeah. Period. No option. <laughs> <laughs> but it'd be so hard. <laughs> I need to work on that. I oh know. I have a friend who says, when Jesus commanded us to love one another, it wasn't a multiple choice question. <laughs> <It was> the, <laughs> this is, there aren't any options here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. So Christianity is, it's well known for having a lot of rules. I don't think a lot of people think that's all it is, but I know right. that there's a lot more to it. Right. But thinking about rules, do you have any, if you were to write a rule book for life, mm. what would a few of the rules be that you would put in there? Mm. I think I would have to just say what Jesus said. I think it's in the, the Shema and in the Jewish uh, word. It's um, the rules for life would be to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. I think if we did that, like you said, Simon, if you did that, there wouldn't be any wars or rockets or mm -hmm. prisons. But not everyone is able to commit to that. Mm. Yeah. So then for those who are not Christian, then they would just skip the first rule and then try to follow the second, yeah. which is a lot I personally think it's a lot easier to follow the second if you're following the first. Mm -hmm. But that's that's my personal religious Christian standpoint. Yeah, yeah. And loving your neighbor as yourself isn't really that hard. Well, no. well, sometimes people sometimes are. It could yeah, be. I have to take. I have to re think that but there are people who can be hateful and and um, brutal and yeah mm. yeah but I don't think we can wiggle out of the I don't think we can wiggle out of that command that we're or whether one sees it as a command from God or just a general good rule to follow I don't think we can wiggle out of not loving them because if we if we harbor bitterness against that person, if we harbor resentment and unforgiveness, it really hurts us hmm. who who are holding on to those things. So we have to love and and one definition. The like definition, definition that I referenced. Uh, one definition I have heard of was from a Father Hanch, who said loving someone is wanting the very best for them, mm -hmm. wanting them to be whole, wanting them to be happy, wanting them to be, um, you know, comfortable and free. Yeah, free. Yeah, all those things. Yep. So I, the very, yeah, the very best thing that can happen for them. Yeah, but have I had anything? Have I had a a child murdered brutally in front of my eyes, how quick would I be to say, um, I am supposed to love you. There would have to be a process for me, no doubt, to do that. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, but there are people who have. Yeah. yeah. 
That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of family, what's something that you learned from your parents that set you up to live as well as you have? I honestly feel like they gave us such a clear sense of what a work, work ethic should be. We were taught to work at an early age. We were taught to be responsible, uh, thoughtful, considerate. Uh, at an early age, it was just, it was a given. It mm -hmm. was not, this is what we do as a family. <laughs> as a family, <laughs> that is what we, we were taught. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Would you be able to expand on what you mean by a good work ethic? What is a good work ethic? Well, my my dad would say, if you work for someone, you need to do exactly what they've told you to do. and you And if you have slack time, See what you can do for them. Um, that will help. But don't don't do something for yourself during the time that someone's paying you to work. And so that's that was always uh, a good thing. And my brothers and my sister and I have always been good workers. And I and I think it was thank you to my parents. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's where it normally starts. I said that's where a work ethic normally starts yes, with your parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they were not hard on us. They didn't. I mean, we had chores to do, and we didn't know what an allowance was back then. But <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know what an allowance is right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We ate there, and that was our home, and that was our allowance. I guess you might say in, in my parents' mind, and that was fine. Well, that's, that's all how, you that, Yeah, that's fine. Is that where we still? The clothes on your mouth, the roof over your head, and the food in your belly. Yeah. It's a pretty my, good list. My parents didn't have a lot of money. My my mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad worked at the lumber mill. And so we, as children, saw them be frugal. And so I, I didn't want to infringe on that, that characteristic of theirs by asking them for extra stuff. We, we didn't ask for extra stuff. We never asked for extra stuff. Hmm. Um, we, and we had jobs growing up. We had jobs of our own. We got things we wanted. Hmm. Yeah. So didn't ask my parents for the, the <laughs> money. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on work, business, and money, if you have any? Well, I, I, like, I liked working when I was working. <laughs> <laughs> I liked working because, I don't know, you can just put yourself into what you're doing and you get to be with other people and help other people, directly or indirectly. And I, I liked working. I really, really did. I, I miss it. I actually, today I miss it. But I think it has, I think if I were... Oh, if I were someone who was raised in a wealthy family and and there was a really big importance on how much money you had. Mm. I don't see a problem with how much money you have, but I would want the person who has a lot of money um, to share some of that with other people or with... Mm. 
a charity of their choice because I feel like having a lot of money all by itself is kind of meaningless unless you use it to better the lives of other people. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, those are some thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> so, imagine you get the opportunity to share one experience with every single person on the planet. They all get to have this experience themselves. Ah. So basically, I'm asking you, what do you think the best experience to give the whole world would be? <laughs> it would be that, that time that I, I mentioned about my friend Cheryl and I in hmm. the study hall. That hmm. would be my that would be the experience I would want to share with everyone. Give everyone the chance to see a friend that they know and love. Yeah. Inform them of the God that they know and love. Yes. Hmm. That, would that would be, be it cool. in a nutshell. When can we do this, Simon? <laughs> 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 well, if we wait till we have it figured out, it'll never happen. <laughs> So uh, I guess we'll have to wait till whenever the time is right. <laughs> Maybe that's what the Holy Spirit's all about. Huh? Exactly. <laughs> if you guys who are listening are confused, that's because we're referencing things that are fairly well-known in Christianity, but kind of foreign if you are not part of it. So if you're interested in more, feel free to ask me, and I will be very confused and give you the best answer I can which probably won't be an answer it'll be more questions and places to look so there you go okay so we've talked about an experience what if you got to te design a class that everyone would have to take in high school grade 12 I'm glad you told me about that uh, or that you gave us that little printout because it gave me a chance to think about that. So I, <laughs> I am ready with an answer. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'm ready with Did you like answer. the question? <clears throat> I liked the question and I gave it quite a bit of thought. And my thought would be that everyone in high school, and, and maybe some high schools are already doing this, mm -hmm. that everyone in high school would have to take an intense class regarding the family. Oh. What makes up a family? What uh, what makes a healthy family? What what an unhealthy family looks like? If you're if you're a person who's been in an unhealthy family, how do you heal those wounds? How do you resolve those issues? That would be my class, Simon, and everybody would be required to take it. Wow, that would be mm -hmm. hugely impactful. The family is is God's basic unit of society. If the family's healthy, the town is healthy. I, other people have said this: the country's healthy, the nation is healthy. If and the world it all is starts healthy. with the family, all starts with the family. Hmm. Mm -hmm. oh, that's yep. cool. They call family one hundred and one. Family one hundred and one. <laughs> <laughs> goodness i hope that class wouldn't involve finding a life partner within the within the four months that it runs <laughs> <laughs> well 
Good point, Simon. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do that. That would put me on a time limit. <laughs> I wouldn't be ready to get married when I'm It would teen. just give you an idea of what to look for, maybe. That's a good, yeah. good point. Yeah, yeah that would what be do a you good look point for in a, yeah. in a life partner. When you're looking, when you're ready to look, yeah. <laughs> so speaking of society, mm -hmm. imagine you get to change one thing about the way our present society operates. What would the one thing that you would change be? One thing that I could change about how about our society? Mm -hmm. Oh dear Simon, that's a that's a big question. Let's see. Tall order. Yeah. I think it would would um, go back to that. Um, that concept or rule of you can't treat people badly. If if I were to change the one thing about society, I think I would change that. But but um, you know we can't control the way people think or what yeah. they will to do. Yeah. yeah. So something more a more systemic change about the way the whole system works. The whole culture. Mm. I feel like, at least for the time we're living in now, there needs to be more of an emphasis on the strength of the family. So... Sure, Simon. I have the an answer for that, except that maybe um, maybe things could be put in place like uh, maybe things could be put in place like planned vacations for family that were safe, hmm. or or planned workshops for families that were um, would help them to understand their own family dynamic and to resolve things that people have experienced as children that were terrible. Hmm. How do we resolve that? Maybe there could be a program in place that everyone would have access to. Hmm. Um, we're, uh, we're, we're, it's, it has been said, we're broken people living in a broken world. Mm -hmm. And so, um, how do we, how do we fix that as a society? Maybe that would be a good place to start. Is with the family. Starting with families. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I certainly appreciate my family, so yeah. I think that it's made a huge impact in my life. Yeah. So, and I also know that it's given me a huge boost, a massive step up in my life trajectory. Mm-hmm which is something that I don't take lightly. <laughs> mm -hmm. I need to remember to be as grateful for it as the fact deserves. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. How do you think about decision-making or setting priorities? Well... I think... If we don't prioritize things, 
we'll, we'll never accomplish what we feel is important. Yeah. And so many of the things that we do are probably not all that important, but mm-hmm. but there are things that really are important, like um, uh, maintaining family relationships, maintaining relationship with friends. Those are are I what I consider a priority. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's I think a priority is that's important is squeezing in fun. Somewhere, we <laughs> all need to have fun yeah. somewhere in our lives, and so that's important. And if we get too much in a rut, I think we might we might zip right or zip or not maybe not zip maybe <laughs> crawl past our priorities. <laughs> yeah, and decision making is. I think some decisions are easy to make, kind yeah. of like a snap of a finger, and other yeah. decisions. Just need more time. Hmm. Yeah, but but we do need need to make decisions. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Thinking about fun, do you have any favorite pieces of art or music, or books, paintings, anything like oh. that that you've consistently come back to? <laughs> well, I I am really drawn to to the Bible. <laughs> all the stories, all the stories, the, the good, bad, and the ugly. Never would have guessed. <laughs> you never would have guessed, yeah. <laughs> but I love reading about history, like today when we went to, to the Mennonite Museum. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's so much history there, Simon. And mm-hmm. there have been so many good things, and there have been some atrocious things that have happened in our world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's valuable to learn about those yeah mm-hmm. yeah so i i love i love uh music i i'm i feel like because of our brains being like a very sophisticated computer i try to be careful what i listen to because of the words yeah. i'm not too picky about the style <laughs> but i am picky about the words mm. uh, i think uh i think i mentioned a lot like zach williams and John Michael Talbot, and we all have a whole bunch of singers that I like. But I like mm-hmm. music that encourages me to mm-hmm. be strong in my faith. And and then I love learning about history. So history, like history books. And my favorite author is, I, I like James Harriet, mm-hmm. a veterinarian from Wales. I think he's from Wales. He's written these wonderful books. And it talks about his veterinary experiences. I love those. I love to read his books. Yeah. yeah. That sounds like a really, really interesting thing to read. Because yeah. I imagine that his writing is very, very good. Yeah, it is. And then a super good storyteller can pull you into a story about anything, even if it's uh, like give you doing an operation on a kitten or something like that. Yeah. Or one time he went to see a farmer and there was a cow that was struggling to to live and and he said hey let me help you out with this cow well the cow will be all right you know it's it's just a cow well <laughs> when the farmer had gone out ahead of him he went ahead and gave the cow something for pain and when they came back the cow was up <laughs> and he said hey what'd you do to my cow <laughs> it's i'm not quoting it exactly but it's, <laughs> he's it's just all these 
wonderful stories that he tells mm. about being a vet. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. In fact, I just got one of one, uh, one of James Harriet's books I picked up at at a book giveaway they were having. <laughs> yeah. Well, it must have been an exciting thing to find. Oh, yeah. Thick. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thick books take a while to work through. Yeah. I think one of his books is All Things Bright. Oh, no. All Creatures Great and Small. Hmm. I forget what this one is. Anyway. Okay. I'll find some and then link to them so that people who are interested. Yeah. Yeah. James hmm. Harriet. I'm not sure if he's still alive, but I hope he is. Because <laughs> <laughs> then you get more books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so what's the smallest, easiest thing that you've done that has made your life noticeably better? Wow, that's a good question, Simon. The smallest, easiest thing. The smallest, easiest thing. Yeah. Oh. Doesn't have to be the smallest or the easiest. Uh-huh. It could just be a small or easy. <laughs> And you don't have to think through and make the little list. It's like, oh, but that one's easier than that one. But that one's easier than that one. And then argue about which one's uh, the easiest. Well, it's it's pretty simple. But I've I've started noticing that if I'm in the bathroom mm-hmm. and I'm going and I have I have <laughs> something that needs to go to the recycle bin, right? Mm-hmm. I put it in one spot, and then when I'm going to the recycle bin, I just take it. Instead of taking it out to the recycle bin, coming back where I started out, and I think, oh, I'm going to go that way anyhow, I'll take it when I go. Does that make any sense, Simon? Okay. <laughs> I'm kind of I confused about how the washroom fits in, right? <laughs> Toilet paper rolls. <laughs> oh, okay. I, and I've, I've noticed, and it's helping me. It's helping me to simplify my life. It's just a simple change. Okay. But so I'll gather things up in one spot, and then when I'm going there to that spot, I'll take those things. So it's kind of streamlining your life a little bit. I make 50 trips in all directions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I tend to make 50 trips in all directions. <laughs> my dad always tells me, they work smarter, not harder, Simon. <laughs> and then I'm like, but what I'm doing works. Yeah, and you get more miles on your exactly. On your legs. <laughs> <laughs> and I get paid for walking, that's but right. that's kind of not fair. So, anyways, <laughs> that's kind of funny. Three more questions, and that's it. That's and then I get to ask some fun ones oh, that yeah. I make up on the spot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's your favorite ice cream? <laughs> what's your favorite ice cream? That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For Grief Share, we have this. Um, we have a list of icebreakers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's what was the what was your most embarrassing moment? What's oh, your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite? That is. <laughs> I I don't think I would want to share that. <laughs> I'm pretty embarrassed by my most embarrassing one. I have two most embarrassing ones that I don't want to share about. Oh. Oh, uh, what's your favorite junk food? What's your favorite rest in a takeout? They have all mm. these nice questions. They're just yeah. kind of fun. Yeah. <clears throat> this one's a little, this question's not on the fun side. It's on a very serious side. What do you believe is worth fighting for? Oh, that's an easy question. 
I believe our family and our friends are worth fighting for. I believe our country is worth fighting for. And I believe our faith is worth fighting for. Mm. Um, and when you say fight, what does that mean? Like I mean, uh, being politically active or. When I say fight, I mean actively engaging in trying to push something forward. Yeah, those are the things that I would say. Because I don't, yeah. I personally don't think that physical force is often the most important form of fighting that we can do. Yeah. Because That's... some of the most important changes that have happened in my life have been through dialogue. Yeah. And that's yeah. less messy, yes. <laughs> less messy and more healing. Yeah. So. And values. I know different people have different viewpoints on what's valuable. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Even if we disagree, I feel like the things that we feel are valuable are worth fighting for. Mm. Um well, then you end up with a really cool, diverse world with all these different people being really mm -hmm. good at different things, and then they kind of balance each other out. Because mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, if I get into if I get into a relationship with someone who is a little bit tidier than I am, and then mm -hmm. we have a dialogue about it, mm -hmm. then I might end up benefiting from their tendency to keep things cleaner. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I think of one. The example I think of is like human trafficking. Mm. We we don't want that to happen. No. So we no. we can we fight for that however we mm -hmm. can. Yeah. 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 So that's something that you believe is worth fighting for. What do you believe is worth betting on? I think about <laughs> I think about making decisions or setting priorities as betting time or betting money or betting energy. It's like if I'm going to go decide to hang out with someone, I'm I'm deciding not to hang out with someone else. Yeah. So I'm betting on that person. I'm like, this is going to be a good time. This is going to be worth my time. I see. I see what you mean by that. I, I looked at that question and I have to say, um, I think sometimes um, what you describe is uh, what do I, what do, how much can I invest in this Let's say it's an event, mm -hmm. and and you and you want to go to the event because uh, it gives you a chance to spend time, for example, with your family. Mm -hmm. But you know it's going to be late, and it might be even a little bit costly. Mm -hmm. But it will, but it will create a family memory mm -hmm. that's that you can never take away. Yeah. In those cases, I feel like, even though from a rational standpoint or a practical standpoint is that I'm going to be tired it's a little bit more than I want to spend and it's a two hour drive mm -hmm. you, and and I feel like it's worth it <laughs> and you're never going to forget it. it and you won't forget it and, and you you'll and still talk about it and your family it. <laughs> are going to be like oh my goodness remember when we <laughs> yeah. went to uh, I don't know where the theme park yeah yes yours. the yeah. other city the, to go to the beach the melodrama yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's what you guys did right we went to the melodrama yeah. Uh, yeah that's cool I think there are times when you just have to plan on making some sacrifices and <laughs> just do it <laughs> yeah <laughs>
Okay, so here's the last question. The very last question. If I could only learn one thing from you today, and it's the only thing I would remember, what's the one thing that you think I should learn? Oh, Simon, one thing. As my grandson, I feel like it's good advice. It sounds trite. It sounds simplistic. But pray about everything. Hmm. Pray about everything. When when we when we incorporate our when we join our lives to Jesus, he becomes our best friend, our companion. And there's so many times I've left him out of decisions that I've made, Simon. I haven't even asked him about it. It's what I want I wanted to do mm. and I did it. Not a good friendship. I wasn't a good friend when I did that to him. And well, no, I don't know what the percentage. <laughs> Usually, it went sour. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, how yes. do we turn that into something that someone who's not Christian can still do it? It's just like reflect on everything. Yeah. Think everything through. Yeah. And I think, I think we have to think. Well, for marriage, for example, for marriage, mm -hmm. I tell the people that I can get into an uh, headlock. Headlock. <laughs> it's the one time in your life when you really must think about what is good for you. You mm. have to think about: Is this going to be good for me? Mm. And and no, none of us are perfect, so the the, the perfect uh, perspective. Spouse doesn't exist, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And so, with with keeping that in mind, we we just need to know that we have to do what's good for us. And and I think my brother Gene would say, or Andrew Andrea would say, Andrea would say, don't settle. <laughs> yeah. And my brother Gene would say, uh, almost is not. You don't want to settle for. Almost. almost. Almost is not good enough. It's almost right. Yeah. <laughs> it needs to be. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And one last thing I wanted to say about living well is that from a, <clears throat> from a Christian standpoint, living well from the world standpoint doesn't look like living well. And I, and I think of Paul as the example of living well. Hmm. We we believe that Paul lived well. Yeah. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was imprisoned. He was run out of town. <laughs> but he had a clear but, conscience the whole but, time. But he lived well because every every moment I believe every moment of his life, he was in tune with Jesus, and the two were the two were. Doing this gangbuster thing together, <laughs> yeah. but it was tough. I'm, I'm sure it was tough. But I think that we can say of Paul that he lived well. 
not by the world standards at all. Hmm. They would say, no way, but, hmm. but he lived well. And look what he, look what he did. Hmm. <laughs> we're, we're still learning what Paul learned, yeah. Hmm. Very cool. Just for those of you who are listening, Paul is a character from the Bible. And I think that the most important thing that that illustrates for those of you who aren't Christian is that living well can look incredibly different based on different worldviews. And I think that that's something that we can all take away and something that we all need to remember, regardless of where we're coming from. And then that, by learning that, by remembering that, then we can have more grace and care for other people who come from different places and we'll judge them less, we'll see them as more as human and we'll love them more fully. And that's what I want to do and I hope that you can get on board with that. Hello everyone, it's Simon. I know you thought you were done with me, but I've still got a few things to say. The first is thank you. I really appreciate that you're taking the time to listen to my conversations and I hope that they're adding value to your lives. The second is that if you're enjoying the podcast and want to support me in what I'm doing, you can do that in a few ways. The first is by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The second is by subscribing to my email newsletter. This can be found by going to my website, learningfromhumanity.com, scrolling down to the section titled Interviews, and filling out the form titled Want to Hear About New Content? The third way you can help me out is by following me on Instagram at learningfromhumanity. The mailing list and Instagram are similar in that those are the places where you will hear about cool new content. News of anything new will be shared via those channels. The final and most important way you can help me out is by suggesting a guest. The guests that I'm looking for are the old and the bold. The old are those who are 65 plus and can look back at their life and say, I have something to teach others about living well based on what I've learned over my years. The other category, the bold, consists of people like me, like you, maybe a few years younger, maybe up to the age of 35, who are actively trying to live the best life they can and have something to show for it. I'm not picky about who I interview, as long as they fit into those categories. It could be you, it could be your grandma, could be your best friend who does uh, roller skating professionally or makes really really cool YouTube videos. I don't know who I'm going to interview and I'm excited to find out. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for putting up with me gabbering on for so long and I hope you have a great day.